Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host as we talk about this past weekend in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio, Mr. Gray Warren, Mr. Seth Eggert, and Mr. For, Mr. Christopher DeHarty. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing Terrific. well. NASCAR in Kansas. Uh, this weekend, we had some uh, fights and brawls in the Xfinity race, and then we had an, el- an elimination round for Cup. Uh, the guys going home are Boyer, Bowman, Byron, and Brad. Uh, so uh, all all the Bs are eliminated, uh, that Brad being Brad Keselowski. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was uh, Denny Hamlin winning the race. And uh, Seth Gray, you and I have been talking about this, and I've kind of um, touted Hamlin as a championship possibility uh, i feel like it's probably his best chance so uh uh let's uh let's talk through this kansas race tell me uh, your impressions and uh and talk about what's next well denny's uh you know denny's probably having one of the best seasons he's ever had he's he's got five wins uh on the season of course he started off the year winning the daytona 500 and he's been in the mix uh you know all year he's uh and he's going to relax um that he's done well at in the past. Uh, he won at Texas in the spring, so we'll be going back there in a couple of weeks. And, of course, he's he's been successful at Martinsville uh, in the past, too. So, I mean, he's uh, – I mean, it, it's kind of weird how we look at things because uh, it, it's, it's ebb and flow. As these guys get on these little mini runs, you know, they automatically go go to the top of the favorites list. You know, we were – who were we were talking about? Truex. Uh, being a favorite when he won uh, two races in round number one, you know. So how quick things can kind of change. But, you know, looking at it, you got three Joe Gibbs cars right up there in the in the top uh, top three positions uh, going into uh, going into this next round. So we'll have to, you know, obviously those three those three cars, you know, you have to look at as a favorite. And I think I saw some Vegas odds this week where uh, – uh, Kyle Busch is three to one uh, to win it. He was he's the, he's the odds-on favorite to take it all. But uh, 
Denny's just, you know, he, he's that he's been good all year, uh, you know, along with these with these teammates. And um, uh, that's that's no surprise. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. You got other guys that have, have, have really come to the forefront here late, late too. Um, you know, Chase Elliott really was strong out out there and, and actually uh, really helped himself and had to just about race his way into the uh into the next round and had uh yeah it came down to that last restart where right, it could right. be him had, going home or brad going home yeah 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 because yeah, lasky had, had a miserable start caution. yeah well well what happened was the uh final caution which involved brad and joey along with a few others brad ended up with a left rear tire rub However, Paul Wolf and his team never called him pit road, so it never was clearanced. On the restart, uh, sure enough, there was smoke coming from the left rear. By the time they completed one lap, he was off the pace. He, well, he, got, he, got, he got in the wrong lane, too. I mean, he got, he got, he got kind of shuffled up. Most definitely. He got, but I, he... I, I don't think the tie rub had any anything. I think just basically he chose the wrong he chose the wrong well, lane going to the middle. I I don't think so as much because he had Paul Menard trying to push him down the back stretch when they weren't in the middle and they were going backwards. Yeah. So but there, we, there was he some, tried to go to the top, the car in front of him checked up and he lost momentum. But that being said, the damage combined with the lane, he just ended up out of luck. Uh, Joey Logano, if he didn't save it in that accident, doing that 360 through the grass, coming out facing the right direction, that would have been the end of his playoffs, possibly, instead yeah. of Brad's. Yep. Which, imagine if the defending champion was eliminated with two rounds to go. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what I was saying, had they not had that last that last caution there, and, of course, I mean, you know, you we're talking tenths of seconds uh, between them flipping the caution light and and uh, and Denny crossing the uh, five feet crossing the line, yeah, really. I mean, it was it was that close. And I would like to have seen, you know, because I think Chase had a Chase may have had a, had a better run on him uh, that that time going going to take the, the you know take the white. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, like I said. Uh, Chase did what he had to do and ended up uh, racing his way into the top eight. And, uh, you know, after a couple of dismal races, so he, uh, he kind of recovered and we'll, we'll see what happens. He's, he's definitely carrying the banner for Hendrick and, and the Chevrolet, uh, Chevrolet crowd along with uh, uh, Kyle Larson. Now the, there are some fans giving NASCAR a little bit of flack, not only for uh that caution uh, because of how close they were to the line, but also for the caution that set up the chain of events that eventually got them to that last overtime. That being when Ryan Blaney bounced off the wall, ended up getting a flat, uh, I believe, right rear tire, which shredded on the apron. Uh, there's some fans that complained that the debris was on the apron, that it wasn't in the racing groove. That being said, there's debris from when he hit the wall. So I'm not entirely sure if that's just a case of fans being nitpicky that NASCAR or NBC more so didn't actually show all of the debris or only focused on the number 12 not showing where 
he actually hit the wall. Well, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, Seth. Seth loves late race cautions. Don't. don't yeah, well, well Seth, Seth, you know as well as I do that NASCAR fan, fans posting on social media are much smarter than any race officials <laughs> or anybody like that. So, I mean, we all know this to be true. And here's the deal. NASCAR's <laughs> not consistent on that stuff because we've all seen races throughout the course of the year where a car will brush the wall, you well, know, just br- and they throw the caution for it's, well, not, it's no there, rhyme or reason. There, are you really expecting NASCAR to be consistent in any there, way, shape, there, or form whatsoever? There is actually a reason for uh, the inconsistency this year, and that's that there are two different race directors. Yeah. So depending on the race and which race directors uh, call in the shots that day, will decide what they determine is and isn't a caution. I go along with that. I mean, and and like I said, it can be two different race directors, but NASCAR has never been really consistent because we've seen, I've seen, I've seen wrecks during the, well, seen cars brush the fence during the course of the se- this season, and you sit there and wonder why did they throw the caution? Because all the guy did was brush the fence, and he got down to the inside and was coming to pit road, but yet they throw throw the caution. And look, NASCAR is going to be opportunistic in situations like that. If, if you, you know, if the race has kind of got kind of single file and the, you got a guy sitting out there with a two second lead and not a lot of, not a lot of action up front. Yeah. I don't blame them. I, you know, throw the caution, kind of tighten the field back up. Let's get a restart. Let's make it exciting for the fans. Regardless of what would have happened if they had thrown that debris caution or not, uh, with two laps ago in regulation, uh, the scheduled d- distance, Bubba Wallace had a mechanical failure on the right rear in which the tire actually separated from the car, hub and all. Uh, it looked like the brake rotor exploded in the slow motion camera that they had there, that, which that would brought out the caution no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was somewhat of a scary incident because it happened in the middle of the pack. Uh, somehow nobody slammed into him. Uh, the only other car involved was Matt Tiff who spun into the wall to avoid him. Uh, but you had cars starting each and every way, including Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, which, again, the two of them just were off to, uh, this past weekend. Yeah. yeah so let me let me ask you guys this real quick. Um now we've had, you know, with the different aero packages we've been trying in different tracks and whatnot, there have been some hits and some misses. What what are your guys' feelings on the overall quality of the race at Kansas? I mean, was this particular package they able to get was this was this a hit or was this a miss? I thought it was okay. I mean I thought I thought the race uh was was pretty good. Um, I thought yeah. it was competitive. If if you were to compare it to the Kansas race in the spring, which was under the lights it would be a miss. But if you were to compare it to a different mile and a half track, say Texas, it would be a hit. Uh, it just depends on the context and yeah, looking at it. Yeah, and I think, too, when you when you compare a night race to a day race, you, you're not comparing, you're comparing apples and oranges because the grip level is higher. And it, it can be higher at night. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it, you know, it's just you just just going to have a different deal than, than when you get it racing the daylight and in the sunshine. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a work in progress. I mean, you're going to have some races where guys, I mean, where guys just totally figure it out 
and 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 get their tires to working better than everybody else, and they're gonna they're gonna put some distance between themselves and the rest of the field. Other races, the field's gonna be a little bit a little bit tighter. But um, uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a pretty competitive race. I mean, I thought they they could they could do some side by side racing. Um, um, again, like any like any track we go to now with this package, clean air is still critical. You know, the car that gets in clean air is still going to have an advantage. And I don't know, you know, with the way these cars are done, done that is, I don't know if you're ever going to get totally away from from that. You know, that that seems to be the norm in just about every other form of motorsports, you know, with the with the with the wings and the and the and the, and the things, the enhancements they use now that, you know, when when the lead car is in clean air, it's it's working the way it's supposed to. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, there's no no substitute for clean air. So now, now the eight drivers left going on to the next round are Seth. They are Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, and Ryan Blaney. You know, and, this, right. and, and one other thing too, you know, we, the the this racing for the segment deal, you know, has comes under a lot of criticism between fans. Some people like it, some people don't. But I tell you what, when it comes down to this and you see just how important these stage points are and these guys racing for these stage points and they're trying to accumulate these stage points throughout the season, you know, when you start getting down to this round of eight, uh, round, of, round of 12, round of eight, they really become important. And they have proven so, you know, this year in, in these last two rounds, these guys that have, have accumulated and have raced their way to these stage wins throughout the season. Uh, a perfect example is Chase Elliott this past weekend. He earned 15 stage points. Mm-hmm. Brad, on the other hand, only yeah. earned six. He only earned six. Yes, yeah, right. right. And, 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 the, the difference between Brad and Chase at the end of the day was what three points? Three points. Three yeah. points. Yep. You know, and I tell you, you when, you, when we we'll probably talk about this in a minute, but 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 looking at favorites to to win it, you know, I, I've watched several things today, and you know, the the Penske cars early on in the year were, were pretty strong, but I don't think now that they have the speed. They they in the second half or the last third of the season. They haven't shown the uh, the speed that uh, that the Toyotas have had during uh, the course of the year. I'd almost say uh, yes and no uh, as far as agreeing with you on that, only because it, it's more so Brad and Joey don't have speed, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden Ryan Blaney does, almost yeah, like yeah. they flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm – well, I, I kind of – and of course, Ryan's he's been he's been kind of up and down during the course of the year too. You know, uh, he he had a good strong run at Talladega, but I think he and so did Joey. But I think he can throw out you know Talladega as the as the outlier you know in that because the the plate racing thing is 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 a little uh, misleading. But you know on these on these mile and a halves, uh, it, I guess where it's you know where, where we're going to really decide it. You know, I think at Texas and. Uh, and Homestead is where uh, is where we're going to see what what if the Toyotas do have a little bit of an advantage. Right. Then in between there, we've got Martinsville coming up next, which is another bit of a wild card race because it's yeah. not you know it's it's more it's more of a driver's track there and not so much a speed or arrow 
Yeah, you can. Yeah, I, I always look. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Marshall is a wild card. Just, just agree with you, Frank. You know, much like Talladega, because it's, uh, you know, it's two two opposite ends of the spectrum. Martinsville and Talladega, and you know, one is the slowest track we race on. One, another one is the fastest track we race on. And but so many other things can happen, you know, along in there that 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 are really beyond your control uh, at, at those two tracks. Uh, Track position is so critical at Martinsville, and you can get caught up in somebody else's mess there, just like you can get caught up in a in the big one at uh, at Talladega and ruin your day. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing how you, on a track that's three and a half miles long, you can make up a whole lot more ground easier than you can on a track that's you know just under half mile. Yeah. You know, it seems like there's less distance to get there. It's just it's just harder to get through that traffic. Mm-hmm. And you you, you start in 38 to 40 cars on that uh, on that track. I mean, you know, you get mired back in the field. It's a long way long way to the front. Plus, too, it's harder it's hard on your car because you you know brakes and 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 on, drive train and everything else. On top of that, uh, they're calling for morning showers the day of mm-hmm. the race. There's also showers Saturday, which uh, the qualifying session is supposed to be immediately after the truck race on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could that could uh, could really uh, throw a wrench in some of these guys' plans. That, that's for sure. But you know, that's when the, the guys that, that that have the experience there, you know, going to fall back on that. Yeah. Plus, the, the late October weather is can be like like Gray. You and I when we went to Martinsville a couple of years ago, it was, it was it was yeah, it was just so which uh, which makes it a little hot, harder to get some heat in the tires and, and whatnot. And there's a whole different set of problems when when the weather is just bitter cold like that. Mm-hmm. And then too, you know, uh, Martins will be in a track where um, you know tempers tempers uh, seem to flare there a little bit too. So you know you can. Uh, that's that's an added element uh, to to that too. You know, you can uh, you can ruffle somebody's feathers uh, there, and uh, and you know, cost you some uh, cost you some points and some and some and some time there at that track too. So that's another thing we we'll have to look at too is, is how clean that race can be or, or unclean. Now, certainly. Yeah, now, now that you mentioned feathers getting ruffled and, and tempers, uh, before we get too deep into previewing Martinsville, Xfinity race at Kansas, we certainly saw some ruffled feathers and some uh, short tempers. So, uh, Seth, I know you followed the Xfinity series very closely. So, uh, I mean, we, we, we ended up in a, a literal fist fight uh, after the race. Well, first off, Brandon Jones, who was eliminated uh, from the Xfinity Series playoffs uh, at Dover a few weeks ago, earned his first career win in the series. Uh, Meanwhile, further back, Tyler Reddick, who finished second, and Cole Custer, who finished 11th. On the final restart, Reddick put Custer into the outside wall on the backstretch. Post-race, Custer went over to Reddick to talk about it, put his hand on Reddick's shoulder, and... 
all hell broke loose. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of a strange deal because he put his hand on his shoulder, but he didn't do it. I didn't see it in a threatening way. Neither you know? did I. Neither, and, and I think I think Reddick overreacted to it. and uh, Which fo- soon followed by the Stuart Haas crew members overreacting. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now, and, and, and this is something that I have. I, I, I've been in that situation before as a crewman. I, I was a... For, for 25 years, I was down on pit road and was was in the middle of those things like that. And I'm going to say this from the standpoint, and I and and some crewmen will 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 disagree with me, but I think that NASCAR needs to, has, has long is long overdue to make legislation that when these drivers get in a confrontation like that, if any crewman from e- any team gets involved in it. They suspended, and I, I I would make it make it a stiff penalty. I would go six races or six months. I don't know what it is, but keep they have no business getting. I know you're gonna have people uh, say, "Well, he's my driver, and I need to defend him." Hey, I'm sorry. But, These guys get out there, and they they they're big boys. They can handle themselves. That and they fight with 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 uh, 3,400 pounds of steel. Cons- so. Uh, I, I, I just feel I've always felt that way, and I, and I, and more so now. Uh, I think that they need to stay out of it because that tends to make things a lot worse and escalates a lot more when you get a lot of crewmen involved in it. Let those two guys listen. Those guys ain't gonna hurt one another. I can I can promise you that. Where people get hurt and people get bruised and beat up is when all these other people get involved in it. And I think NASCAR needs to step in and, and eliminate that by, by legislating these guys out of the fray. I agree with you, especially considering uh, Cole Custer snuck out of that situation before Reddick and the Stuart Haas crew members were on the ground fighting. Exactly. He uh, was out of Reddick, the back. They were still rolling on the ground. Yeah. Reddick ended up with bloody knuckles cuts all over his face mm-hmm. as a result of the fight with uh, Custer's crew members, not right. Custer himself. Exactly. And that's, and, and they, and they weren't even the principals in the race. I mean, some of these guys, you know, that they're, they're, you know, that, that's why I think NASCAR really needs to do it and they need to be stern with it. Well, they need to go in here and, and, and say, okay, they got film of it, review the film, anybody that was in it, do like you do high school football when they review the film. If you come off the bench and uh, come off the bench and come onto the field into the fray, you're suspended. And, well, and I think NASCAR needs to, needs to do the same thing. Well, here's what I don't understand. Uh, last year, because of a similar situation, uh, made a rule that, at least for the Cup Series, only two crew members post-race for each car on mm-hmm. pit road. The entire Stuart Haas team was there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that rule is supposed to be for all three series. Meanwhile, NASCAR earlier today said that they're not going to issue any penalties for this fight. So why do we have this rule if it's not being enforced? Yeah, I, I agree. And I tell you, I, I, I'll guarantee you this. If NASCAR was to institute such a policy where they would review the film and and they would and, and crew members who interfered or got into it were subject to discipline of it. They would get some attention fast, particularly if they made the made the uh, infraction harsh enough to where these guys would think. I mean, that's the, that's that's those guys' livelihoods, 
and they're very important members of a team. I mean, these are the best of the best out there. And if they, you know, want to, if they set them down for a few races, it'll get some attention. It really will. And I'm, you know, they can come and say they come, they're going to defend their driver. And I'm all, uh, you know, I'm all for the team thing, team concept, my driver. But, but there again, those guys that drive those race cars, they're big boys. They can take care of themselves and they don't need any help from the crew members to, to, to get involved. And if it's, if it's one-on-one, that's a fair, that's a fair fight as far as I'm concerned. I agree. All right. So let's, uh, so where is Xfinity? Xfinity's not in Martinsville, right? Correct. Not this year. But, but the, the trucks are in Martinsville. Correct. And the Cup Series is. So, uh, uh, where, where are we at in the truck is they've got, is this elimination round for truck series? No, the elimination round for the truck series will be at ISM Raceway two weeks from now. Uh, the trucks right now, uh, the trucks right now are coming off of Talladega uh, two weeks ago. The points picture right now, Tyler Ankrum and Ross Chastain are on the outside looking in. However, the margin between them and making the championship four is one and two points each. Yeah, and that's not. I mean, that's very do. That's very doable. You know, that's a couple of that's a couple of positions in the race. So that 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 got swing that small could could make the difference for them. So yeah, that'll be a that'll be a competitive race up there to Martinsville on Saturday. Be one worth uh, keeping your eye on. On top of that, we have a couple of drivers making their uh, Truck Series debut. Uh, Tanner Gray, who is a former NHRA Pro Stock champion. Uh, Danny Bone, who more famously flipped his modified in the Battle at the Beach at Daytona on the backstretch. Uh, you have Dawson Cram, a young 17-year-old driver, returning. Along with the series regulars, you have Jordan Anderson, you have Todd Gillen, Tyler Ankrum, and all of the playoff drivers. Right. Now, Tanner Gray, that's the young man we had on our program earlier <coughs> this year, right? Yes, uh, that we this, also this, had this, the this, audio this, issue for. Yeah, that's the, that's the one. That, that's the guy that you and I interviewed, but we never aired the, We never aired it. So, oh, man. Uh, Donald Love so, collected files. Well, Yep, yeah, but, uh, but very, very nice young man. I wish him well in his truck series debut. But let's, let's talk about the cup race and, uh, let's, uh, let's try to pick us a winner, uh, so that Chris and I can talk about some IndyCar testing and off-season news. So, uh, Christopher, I'll start with you. Um, who do you, who do you like, uh, for this cup race in Martinsville? Well, it's Martinsville. It's Virginia. You gotta go with Denny Hamlin. There you go. That's not a bad pick at all. Now, uh, Gray. Uh, I'm gonna go with Chase Elliott. I'm gonna think, I'm gonna say that uh, since he's the he's the only um, he's the only Hendrick car left. I'm gonna say the Hendrick boys pool their resources now that they've got one car left in it, and they uh, they're gonna uh, bring their best bullet uh, to Martinsville. And of course, we know that uh, Chase gets around there pretty good, so uh, uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna claim the checkered flag on Sunday. Certainly, and he's he's ran there very well in the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. now, Seth, Seth, what are your thoughts? Well, I was going to pick Chase Elliott, but since uh, <laughs> well, you can still pick him. I know I could, I know yeah. I could, but 
Actually, I'll, I think we'll have an upset and have a non-playoff driver win. I'm going to take Brad Keselowski. Okay. Okay. All right. And I'm going to go with Kyle Busch because uh, Kyle Busch can win on any given track, any given day, and he's uh, been a little bit of a slump lately. So uh, we'll see if Kyle can pull this off. Now, Seth, did I read a blurb that Jimmy Johnson has a big announcement coming out, or, or am I dreaming things? Jimmy Johnson um... – Stated that uh, Rick Hendrick, or he will let Rick Hendrick know his uh, future plans within the next four to six months. Uh, that time frame mirrors the announcements in the past of Dale Jr. retiring, Jeff Gordon retiring, uh, Mac, uh, s- several drivers at this point. Certainly, certainly. So, so, uh, so I mean, should, the, should we read a lot into this? Should we say this is maybe Jimmy, you know, calling it quits? Because I, I mean, as recently as uh, uh, two years ago, I think he was saying that he's uh, still feels feels like he's got five, six good years left in him. Well, but uh, it yeah. has been it has been frustrating for him the last two years. Well, he does say that, but at the same time. He recently opened up that he doesn't feel like he's feared on the track anymore by his competitors. He doesn't feel that he's getting the same amount of respect he once had, uh, that he's getting pushed around more and all sorts of other things, essentially. So whether or not that might have a factor, because I have not heard him open up like that before, so yeah, and, and you know that could be a little bit of the changing of the guard kind of thing too, because I mean a, a, a lot of the guys that he might be referring to are some of these younger guys that are coming onto the scene, and and and, and really they don't, you know, they weren't around when Jimmy was at his his career was at its zenith. So I mean, you know, these guys they don't know they he's just another competitor on the track, and and. And, and they'll go up against anybody. And when, and when I talk about that, I'm talking about, you know, Eric Jones and Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott and, and, and those guys, you know. So, um, but there again, we, you know, we could be seeing a, uh, a, a you know, announcement of a Jimmy Johnson farewell tour, so to speak. So, uh, the, the, yeah, that, that could be the case, too. You might want to do one more season. We've seen a lot of really fine drivers go ahead and have that farewell tour. You know, we Seth, saw, let me ask you this. Is it, when is Jimmy's current contract, uh, does it expire? At the end of 2020? The end of 2020. That's what I'm saying. I have heard, I have heard that, but, you know, that other things too that they expect has been some speculation that, you know, he may, he may run an honor through his current contract and then, and then uh, call it, call it a career at the conclusion of that, or at least step back, uh, you know, after that. Now, yeah, because he's, you know, he's recently been floating the idea that he, he'd like to jump in an Indy car, not on an oval, but he said he'd like to try it on a road course. And it's like, at first I'm like, yeah, yeah, Jimmy's just giving the reporter the answer to the, the question that he wants. He's, oh, yeah, sure, I'd like to try that, because who wouldn't like to try that? But I, Jimmy said it enough recently. I wonder if he's wanting to, you know, cut back to a, a very part-time scheduling cup and just try some different things. Speaking of that, uh, or to that real quick, uh, Kurt Bush on the other end of- Kurt Busch on the other end of the spectrum uh, over at Chip Ganassi Racing is close to signing another extension, uh, which would be either one or two more seasons. So either 
2021 or maybe even 2022. Uh, that being said, he's also expressed interest in running indie again, mm-hmm. doing the double, which that only came up after the recent tests of the arrow screen, which granted he's run the double once before, but a combination of either sponsorship or uh, the team he was driving for at the time or recent events in IndyCar have led him or Jimmy or a few others to be hesitant at first about running in IndyCar until some of the recent up, uh, safety updates have come into play. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there because I know that Jimmy had said years ago that he that his wife wouldn't let him do the thing just because of the danger. And this, this was like following the Dan Weldon thing. And then, of course, four years later, there was the Justin Wilson thing. But I think that the, the thought of the air screen on there and the, the halo underneath it has um, – Really, maybe open these guys up to say, okay, well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we could try this now. Well, you know, Jimmy, uh, yeah. Jimmy's career, kind of early career, kind of followed that of Rick Mears, and Rick Mears was his hero coming up. And you know, if not for you know just having uh, opportunities come along, you know, who knows to where Jimmy's career could have ended up, whether it ended up ends up in IndyCar. Or, you know, at that time he was coming along, there were more career opportunities you know, in, in stock cars. So that's kind of the path that uh, that he kind of migrated to. Certainly, yeah. So now, Christopher, this is a good segue uh, to talk about IndyCar and, and the windscreen testing and whatnot. So you've um, paid very close attention to this. Uh, all the uh, the news coming out is quite positive from the drivers. Uh, there's still a lot of backlash from fans, and there's still a lot of the, uh, the stupid comments that, uh, the, you know, they shouldn't do it because the thing is ugly. But, I mean, come on, you'll get you'll get used to it after a while, and when the next car comes around, it'll, it'll certainly – be more integrated because it'll be part of the new chassis. So, but, uh, Christian, what are, what are, what are your, your honest thoughts on, uh, the windscreen, the, the looks of the thing, uh, the safety aspects of the thing and what you're hearing from the drivers? Uh, from the side, the thing looks badass. Um, I really don't like how it looks from the front, but I mean, yeah, it looks like a Jeep windscreen. It is, it is what it is. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. I'm not, oh, I, I tried studying it in college, but unfortunately that didn't exactly work out. Um, it's just, it's just terrible that we have a bunch of armchair engineers that are trying to say that they're smarter than Red Bull advanced technologies and everybody else that put all their design work into this. Um, but you look at, you know, the safety aspect, you know, all the major open wheel series around the country and around the world, or actually around the world, just rather have, um, Halo, they have all the advanced, you know, cockpit protection stuff. Hell, the road to Indy is going to an advanced front protection device for 2020. They're going to have it onto every single tub for next year. Uh, it's just a case of, you know, we need to get going here on advancing this because everybody else around the world has it. And it's not looking good for the Americas if we don't have something like that. So, um, I, but like, I, almost, I almost feel like the, the the Red Bull technology solution is is a more 
comprehensive solution than the halo that's used in Formula One. Because not it, only, it is. not you know, not only do we have the the halo there, which can you know, uh, folks, say, oh, what if that thing snaps off? I mean, well, you can you can put a double decker London bus on top of that thing and it won't bend. That that's how strong that is. Well, yeah, and. and- the other thing is that, you know, we have to look at this is a bolt-on option. When the next IndyCar design comes around, it will be integrated into the design. It will look a lot nicer. Be freaking patient. Exactly, exactly. Now, we've got high marks from the drivers that have tested it. Um, uh, will Power said after a, a few laps, uh, he felt so comfortable with it that he said now he would feel – if he was driving without it, he would feel naked. Uh, Scott Dixon said that, my gosh, I can hear my radio so much better. Uh, you know, so there's that enhanced communication there. Um, Newgarden said it took a few laps to get comfortable with, but once he was, and, and Newgarden was running at uh, Richmond, he, he said it was uh, just fine after a couple laps once he kind of got used to it. Um, now, the next test is going to be at St. Pete. Paul said it was race ready, actually. Power yeah, Power said, said right, yeah, yeah, Power said he would race with it tomorrow. Exactly what he said. Um, the, the next test is uh, featuring James Hinchcliffe and Sebastian Bourdais. Now, Bourdais was selected because he's one of the few drivers out there that wears eyeglasses. So, because you're talking, you, you know, we're looking through a visor and through a screen. So, with Bourdais, he's got, the, you know, the third piece of glass he's looking through there. So, we're going to see how uh, um, Sebastian feels with it, but uh, I, I've got a feeling that that's uh, going to come back pretty positive as well. One small correction, it's going to be at Sebring, not uh, St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah, my, yeah. You're correct. Yes, St. Petersburg being a temporary circuit. <laughs> They're not going to put it put it together for a test, yeah. It's very yeah. temporary circuit. Uh, you can edit that in post. Anyway, the... Um... Oh, that's okay, you know, because I'm uh, I'm just so excited for the season to start out. St. Petersburg! So. Well, same. I was staying with a friend of mine this past year, and uh, they were so accommodating. They were so awesome. But uh, another thing to look at, notice who's been testing the windscreen. A Honda driver and a Chevy driver every single time. Do you know who's testing this windscreen alongside Bourdais? James Hinchcliffe. A Chevy driver, which should put right. to bed all of the things that people have been saying, saying he won't be driving from McLaren next year. So, so let's, let, let, let's talk about this because this is the, one of the things I wanted to bring up with you. Yep. Um, because so, you know, what, what I'm hearing from the team, uh, James's initial uh, reaction was I'm – you know, happy to start this next phase of my career. Sam Schmidt has said um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're on board with James. Zach has said uh, we're very happy with James. Um, the people that keep wanting to put James Hinchcliffe in a Honda are a Mr. Robin Miller and a Mr. Marshall Pruitt, who keep – they keep liking to put the phrase in every article they write that uh, McLaren has not confirmed their 2020 drivers yet. I mean, are they – I just – you know what? And I respect the heck out of Robin Miller because I told Robin Miller once that he was absolutely wrong and crazy, and this was back when I was covering CART a long time ago, and Robin was telling me he's going to break a story that Michael Andretti was going to buy Team Green and bring it to the IRL, and I I thought Robin had fallen off the wagon and started drinking again, but it turns out he was absolutely right, so I've never doubted him again. Well, he never drank <laughs> but, in the first place. Well, okay, but um, the yeah his his major problem was gambling. But but at the same yeah. time he ke- he keeps 
putting this out there that 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 and 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 Pruitt's right alongside him with oh they haven't confirmed the drivers and I don't see and something but everything coming from the team and coming from James and one of my closest friends is uh, James's older brother Christopher and Christopher won't tell me shit he just, <laughs> but he says you know James doesn't even think that there's a Honda thing in the works so is this just these guys trying to draw press to themselves or or, or or are there really legs to this story is there is there really is there really a possibility that that Hinchcliffe might be in a Ray Hall car or in a coin car or something else like that what are your thoughts I, I don't think he's going to leave because everybody has the they all have contracts already in place now granted uh Hinchcliffe does have a lot of backing from Honda of Canada they are um and there are certain legalities with that that are way beyond anything, any pay grade that I'm a part of right now. That being said, I think that his teammate situation is, is going to be as interesting as the Hinchcliffe situation itself because, you know, we've, I've heard, you know, through reading and through other things that, you know, hey, they might look at Oliver Askew, but then all of a sudden, oh, look at this. Patricio Award is no longer doing the, um, Super Formula deal. So is he in the fame for this McLaren seat? Because Zach Brown had breakfast with him at uh, Long Beach. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's that's a really strong rumor right now that Pato Award is in frame for that seat. Um, now, now, I ask you, he's been uh, testing with. Um, Ed Carpenter, G- correct? Ganassi. Ganassi. Renus VK was testing with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, right. So, um, now, now, Askew has, uh, scholarship money to bring to somebody. Uh, so he'll, he'll be in a car at least on a part-time basis for somebody. But award, and the whole thing is the, the, the verbiage in award's own statement that Red Bull went ahead and let him go because they felt there were opportunities for him to pursue an IndyCar. And then award, you know, comes on to say there's something exciting in the future. So uh, this really could be that they're they're going to team him with Hinchcliffe there at um, at uh, Arrows McLaren Schmidt Peterson. Oh, Let me ask you this: as what, about writer, Alonso? Spam. what about Alonso? Alonso? I don't think he's going to do a full season. I think he's in the past he has said that he's not interested in doing a full season, um, but. I think we'll see Alonzo at Indy, whether it be yeah. in a McLaren car or like a the, the 15th Andretti car. Uh, you know, he'll he'll be he'll be at Indy somewhere. Well, it won't be an Andretti car because of Honda. At least I don't think so. That's true. I think well, as long as they um, as long as they prepare the car properly and actually paint it the right color, it should be a lot better. Good well, God! So, but you don't think you don't think Alonzo would. Uh, would entertain running uh, some uh, other races prior to Indy to sort of. I think anything's the, a possibility, get but the team you, up to speed. I think anything's a possibility, but I highly doubt it. If he ran a couple, one or two races before Indy, cool. I don't think he will, but I mean, hey, it's more power to him if he does. I will also say this: I think that the odds of him running a full season are slightly less than, you know, I don't know, Carlin getting three cars on the grid next year. Carlin's going to be back with two cars, I'm sure of that. But, you know, 
for also, I think we're looking at a small increase for next year. I think Foyt's, well, they, Miller said that Foyt's going to be back with two cars, but, you know, I'm still looking at, like I said, this whole McLaren deal. That's the, that's the real spicy bit of silly season after the Rossi situation got signed is what's happening at McLaren, what was it, Arrow McLaren, Schmidt Peterson, or, as arrows, arrows, McLaren racing with Peterson. Yeah. As, people just as, like to call well, it spam. Else, yeah, yeah. That's another writer called it spam. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just call it spam for short. Yeah, it's easier, to, we it's see, easier to we say. Yeah, see, we can see possibly 23, 24 car fields next year. Uh, in a perfect world, yes. We saw. I think the minimum we saw this past year was 23. So I think yeah, you can see 23, 24 cars at all the races. Yeah, I, I think it's, Michael Shank's trying to expand his program to a full-time. Yep. Uh, with, with Jack Harvey, and they've got the full support of AutoNation. The, the, the kicker there is they had been teamed with Schmidt-Peterson as uh, technical partners, but because, you know, Shank is uh, a Honda team, and now, you know, Arrow was aligned with McLaren, uh, does Michael Shank go on it, you know, go at it on his own? Or does he try to seek a technical alliance from, say, you know, Ray Hall or, or Foyt or even Dale Coyne? I think uh, Shank's going to try and get a technical alliance with Ganassi. And I say that because Ganassi still has the IMSA program guys. And I think – and this is – and I want to I I wanna go ahead and say this. I have no knowledge of whether or not this is true, but I'm – I'm assuming this is in a, in a perfect world here, so don't take this, you know, with a take this with a, a massive grain of salt. In a perfect world, I would see Michael Shank team up in a technical alliance with Ganassi. In exchange, Ganassi would get technical assistance from Michael Shank when it comes to running a, maybe an Acura in the GTD class in terms of sports cars. In my opinion, that's the dream scenario. You have Andretti, not Andretti, Acura with another team in GT Daytona. You have Shank help, getting help on the IndyCar side and Ganassi getting help on the IMSA side because Mike Meyer Shank Racing has run the Acuras in IMSA the past, I want to say, two, maybe three years. So I think personally, in my world, that's what should happen. But yeah, yeah. my world and the real world are not necessarily the same. So, so, so Ganassi is what obviously he's losing the Ford program, correct? Uh, and and that and that's going away. Is he's still going to try to keep his uh, sports car team intact and and pick up uh, support from another manufacturer? Is that what you're hearing? Well, that's not so what I'm hearing, but I think the way I would phrase it is that there's a lot of mechanics that are employed by Chip Ganassi that I don't think he wants to get rid of, mm-hmm. which is. Probably. Well, which is kind of why they added the third Marcus car. Marcus exactly. Yeah, that, that that keeps a lot of those guys working. Right. But there's still and there's still some rumors that there may be a fourth Ganassi car, even part time. You know, for for Oliver. That would be uh, good too. I'll have yeah, to that, Oliver that would be wins good. In yeah. that case, oh, ship's going to run in more than just those few races. Mm-hmm. I mean, then again, like I said, I'm, this isn't a perfect world. I'm just. This is simply what I would like to see happen. Well, that makes sense because if, if Ganassi's going to stay in the sports car arena, you know he's going to have to he's going to have to seek out another. And obviously, there's probably manufacturers that have already entertained him because we all we all know the strength of uh, Ganassi's program. So I mean that would be a that would be a legitimate uh, argument to. Yeah, to and certainly in. even if even if. 
Chip takes off, you know, 2020 and doesn't race in IMSA, uh, partners with Shank and, and comes back to IMSA in 2021, that's certainly a possibility as well. So now, Chris, yeah. we've got to leave a little time for Richard, um, and Formula One, who Richard's going to be joining us momentarily. Uh, so, uh, what are your, what are your kind of parting thoughts, uh, during IndyCar offseason as we, you know, go into the, Deep hibernation. We've got the test on uh, November 5th at Sebring. Uh, beyond that, no other test dates are announced. As uh, uh, my understanding is that uh, we've got to make sure we get all the cars fitted with the new aero screen uh, before any other test dates are set. So, um, uh, you know, before we just kind of move on and talk about Formula One. One what, question what, I have your... to lead into this uh, the off season. Well, obviously, we know the windscreen's the big, the big story right now, trying to get it, the, got, get everything worked out there. Any other rules changes coming along that that uh, they'll be uh, working on or testing for when we go to Sebring? That I don't know. I don't know. If there's any other rules changes for this year coming up? Yeah, because they've got a, they've got a bunch for 2022 with the new chassis and new engine, so and a hybrid system for the uh, engine as well. Right. Right. All right, so Chris, any, any parting thoughts before we turn to Richard? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Renus VK will do next year in IndyCar. Um, he has been testing with Ed Carpenter, but the uh, only caveat that they have is that Carpenter wants to run him, but he wants to do the full season, not just the road courses like what Ed Jones did. So if Renus can move up, I'm looking forward to seeing what he'll do. And um, a bit of a uh, shout-out to a couple of Road to Indy ladies, uh, Isla Agron and Bruna Tomaselli were both selected by the W Series for the 2020 championship. All right, well, good for them. Yeah, I mean, I watched a couple of W Series races this year, uh, and they, they were they were quite entertaining. I really I really liked the really liked the style of car they had there, which is pretty similar to a Formula Four. Uh, Formula One is is uh, heading back to uh, our half of the globe here. Going to be in Mexico this coming week. Before the race here, it was announced earlier today uh, that Renault was indeed. Uh, the result was disqualified from Suzuka uh, following a protest from, I, I believe it was uh, Racing Point filed a protest. All right. So, Richard, thanks for joining us late. I uh, appreciate it. Can you give us some of the particulars on the um, the results of that uh, disqualification? Yes. Yeah, so they've been found in uh, uh, to have, have contravened the sporting regulations and that this is considered to be a driving aid. So, from my understanding, what they had was a, a system where the brake bias was adjusted based on how far the car was around the track. Drivers still had to uh, manually adjust uh, brake bias, but there was some um, uh, benefit from knowing exactly where the vehicle was on the track. I think probably the way the driver adjusted the brake bias was probably to um, compensate for tyre wear and, and the like. It was, my, uh, it was my understanding that because of the, you know, the so-called illegal system in place there, that they had to make fewer manual adjustments than uh, than some of the other drivers. Is that correct? Quite possibly, yes. Uh, as I say, you're going to have some some corners where you, you, your braking performance is, is going to be very, very different from others. Um, you know, Suzuki, you've got those um, fast flowing S's where some of the drivers will be, um, you know, tapping tapping the brakes a little bit and almost wanting the car to slide in a little bit. And then you've got like the, the hairpin there and the chicane at the end of the track, at the end of the, the lap where you're really wanting to, you know, almost come to a standstill at times. So the the rate, the, the brake dynamics vary greatly from corner to corner. So if the car knows where it is on the track and can, 
aid the driver in in making those changes as accurate as possible, then uh, there is going to be an advantage there without a doubt. Now, certainly, so they've lost all their points for Japan, uh, but, uh, I mean, they, they dodged the bullet of having their entire season <laughs> uh, notified, which is good. But, the uh, you know, who stands to benefit is Racing Point, because now that, that puts them in striking distance of a fifth place in the Constructors' Championship. Mm-hmm. So they certainly um, had some, you know, some reason to file that protest, being the beneficiaries oh, of cool. it. So, yeah. so, I mean, do you see this, you know, this maybe uh, – um, Racing Point being able to go ahead and grab that spot, or it certainly makes it. Uh, I don't I can't remember uh, the um, uh, the points differential between the two, but certainly it brings it back into play. And and what typically happens, and we've seen this in the past in in Formula One, and we probably see it in other forms of motorsport as well. The um, you know, an engineer or, or a mechanic or somebody will leave one team and go to another and he's maybe had a bit of a disagreement with his former team and uh, they will, uh, you know, have a word with somebody at the FIA and say, hey, next time you have a chance to look at this car, you know, check out this system. And uh, I was actually involved in something very similar to that when I was with uh, Honda Racing back in the early 2000s when they had their illegal fuel system. Um, one of the uh, one of our engineers, I believe, um, left and uh, went to a rival team and then when he was there he uh, he told the FAA what we were doing uh, I mean to a greater extent in that situation pretty much everybody was doing it but uh, we got caught <laughs> <laughs> yeah somebody spilled the beans yeah so oh so so we're off to Mexico which is uh, again is one of the classic circuits it's the ones that, that you and I really enjoy uh, more than the the Tilka domes that, that you say but uh, it is the highest yeah. highest altitude track on the schedule mm-hmm. and yep. It does affect the performance of the car somewhat. Now, Very much so. Hamilton has been pretty public saying he expects to struggle against the Ferraris. But uh, then I read another report that that this, you know, the the higher altitude will maybe hinder the the Ferrari with their faster engines. So, I mean, what are your what are your uh, thoughts? What do you feel like we're going to see when when we get to Mexico? In the last uh, two years, I know last year for definite, maybe in the last two years, you know, Red Bull have come along and been pretty. Pretty competitive there. Uh, I believe Max won last year, and Daniel put it on pole when he was. Um, what was the phrase he used? Tripping proper nutsack uh, post qualifying, which has to be one of the greatest quotes by a driver in, in Formula One history. There, um, but uh, the Red Bull have been able to compete there, even though they've had the less powerful Renault engine for the last few years. Now they're obviously with the Honda engine. It'll be interesting to see how they do. However, the gains that both Ferrari and Mercedes have made in recent uh, recent months will probably negate that, and I expect Red Bull to be sort of propping up that that sort of third place on a on a pretty steady footing. Um, but yeah, certainly running at a higher altitude there, the air's a little bit thinner. It certainly takes the edge off the need uh, for the, the the raw power generation. The engines run a little bit less. Uh, um, less I wouldn't want to say less efficiently. They probably run more efficiently, but it, it certainly helps the uh, less powerful engines, um, you know, sort of make up for some of their loss in performance. Right now, again, we'll we'll get back to Hamilton's comments. Now, it certainly seems to me, at least, that Ferrari has had the better car on the more recently, the more powerful car, the just a better car but mclaren or i'm sorry mercedes rather has still been winning these things on a race strategy um, ferrari seems to have not figured out that particular aspect of it 
as quite as well, or or you could just call it dumb luck too. The, um, the you know the uh, Mercedes guys, uh, you know whatever can go right just happens to fall in their lap. So uh, I mean, do you think Lewis really has anything to worry about? I mean, he can he can clinch his sixth championship this week. That puts him in yeah. very rare company. You know, there's only the only other guy ahead of him. Um, once he gets six, is uh, Mr. Michael Schumacher. Yeah, he wasn't bad, was he? Um, no, and, and this is one of the things that leaves a bit of a funny taste in the mouth, I think, with Mercedes. Um, you know, they they play this whole sort of um, attitude of, oh, well, we're not going to celebrate until we, you know, they've won it. You know, I mean, come on, guys, you've won it. Let's stop being silly. You know they've done incredibly well again this year. You know the, the you know in all fairness, Ferrari didn't raise their game early enough in the season. Uh, you know they showed glimpses during preseason testing, and they you know Charles Leclerc should have won um, in Bahrain until he had his curves failure. Now I, I think that the whole Ferrari underperformance throughout much of the year actually has a lot to do with uh, the issues we saw in Bahrain. I think they, during pre-season testing, you know, it was cool in Barcelona, and they didn't really, you know, cooling wasn't such an issue on the for the hybrid system. They then turn up to Australia, and it's, oh, this is really hot. We're going to have to be a little bit careful here and, you know, turn things down a little. Um, then they sort of, okay, well, we coped okay with that. So we're going to go to Bahrain. Oh, let's turn it up a bit now and see what we can do. And because it was a lot hotter in Bahrain than, than Melbourne, and they suffer those failures. So that may have scared them a little bit. Um, so I think Mercedes have been a little bit fortunate this year with with Ferrari sort of I don't want to say imploding, but um, not being as competitive as I think as as people would have expected. And slowly throughout the year, they've got on top of these issues, and they have been. You know, you've seen. Pretty much since the uh, mid-season break, um, coincidentally, that uh, you know that they've certainly picked up the pace. Certainly. Now, now, what are your thoughts on Vettel? Now, there's there's always it's always rumored that that Vettel's <laughs> leaving Ferrari. You know, and, and we've talked about this at at length, and we've discussed yeah. it. He doesn't like uh, when a teammate comes in and and beats him. So, uh, you feel like he's going to be back in the Ferrari uh, next year, or? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so too. I think a lot of um, you know a lot of that, a lot of silly season speculation comes yeah. from people connecting dots that aren't there, and you know they're, they're making their own dream scenarios happening. You know, especially those folks that feel like Alonso is going to be back in a Ferrari next year. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you know credit where credit's due to Vettel. He's certainly picked it up the last few weeks. You know, that good win out in Singapore, and he was certainly very competitive in. Uh, in, in Japan and probably arguably should have won that race if it wasn't for that uh, false start sort of hiccup. Um, so I think he's certainly picked the game up. I think that the media and the press are making this huge Vettel-Leclerc rivalry. I, I don't think there is one yet. I think, personally, I think that Vettel respects Leclerc. I think he sees him as a very, very competitive driver. I think the whole Red Bull thing when Ricardo came in, it had just run its course, I think, naturally. I think I think Patel needed an opportunity to move on and, and go somewhere new and, and try and, and test himself against uh, in another environment. And he did that, you know, and he's obviously done that with Ferrari. Um, so I, I think he's going to stick it out. 
um, the whole, whole feeling at uh, Red Bull will be interesting to see what they do with their driver selection for next year, um, who they pick to go alongside Verstappen. The interesting thing is, you know, you look at what Pierre Gasly's done in the last couple of races since he's been back at Toro Rosso, and you think if he hadn't been at Red Bull for the first half of this year and not and, and massively underperformed, you think, wow, this guy's amazing, this guy's great, get him in a Red Bull. Of course, we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and it didn't really work out for the guy. Um, and it's interesting talking to him. It does sound like it was a political thing and a pressure thing rather than an ability thing. Uh, the guy's obviously a very, very talented driver, and it just wasn't working out for him for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, we'll be interesting to see what Red Bull do, and that could, in some point in the future, ha- have a knock-on effect on what uh, Vettel does. Whether it does or not, I, I, I don't know. He may end up going back, but I think it'd be a big step back for Vettel, uh, or oh, sorry, for, for um, Red Bull to sort of undermine their junior development program again. Again, yeah. So, well, Rich, we got about a minute left in the show. So, so uh, if there's any anything that you want to get in here, we'll get it in quick. And then we'll make some picks picks for Mexico, and then we'll have to get off the air. So, any any final thoughts for this week? Anything we should look for uh, as uh, the circus enters Mexico? Uh, I mean, I, I I don't think Hamilton will win his title in Mexico. I think he's probably going to win it in Austin uh, the following following race. Um, I think it's going to be a good race. It's a good track. Apparently, I was reading today they've introduced an extra DRS zone, so hopefully, we, you know, a bit more passing there. It's I think it's the longest run down to the first corner in on of the season. So um, yeah, should be a good race. Looking forward to it. And of course, you've got that little stadium section there through the baseball field. Um, that's great. Yeah, it's really good. That's what you need. Yeah, it's one of my favorite tracks on the schedule. So, um, yeah. who do you like for the win? Ooh, I'm going to say Vettel. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to say uh, Charles. Yeah. Um, so, well, with that being said, we are out of time, so I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank you, Gray and Christopher and Seth. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on. I want to thank uh, iHeartRadio, Hoobazoo Radio, um, Spreaker, and um, YouTube Podcast that carries us now. And I want to thank all you folks that listen to us week after week. Uh, till next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-N-A-T-U-R-Z-O-N-A-T-U-R-Z-O-N-A-T-U-R-Z-O-N-A-T-U-R-Z-O-N-A-T-U-R-Z-O-N-A-T-